you know something. This is Andre Walker. I've received a complaint that I uh, cut Michael off too quickly. Apologies for that. The only reason was that we were getting to the news. I thought he had a good innings, though. I thought, actually, I think all the callers that we've had on so far have been absolutely fantastic. Alan, um, about Michael and said, look, how long... How far back does this guy want to go? He wasn't even born then. Well, to be honest with you, I always make the point, I always make the point the shadow of slavery still exists, particularly in the United States of America. The reason why there is a great deal of poverty within what they now call the African-American community is because of slavery in the past. Let's be clear, and I always say this, you go down Trafalgar Square, there's a statue of Sir Henry Havelock. I would challenge you to know who that guy is and what he did. And so I think for those, for those, um, issues that are still live, obviously this is going to be a thing. Uh, whereas obviously for some other people who've committed certain acts of genocide and so on and so forth, you don't know whether, whether anybody cares about that. Um, anyway, so, so Penny Potato said that Michael was a brilliant call and complained that I didn't leave him on for long enough. I, I can only apologise, but keep your calls and texts coming in. And I think now, have we got John Bonfiglio? Oh, I love this guy. I love this guy. Not least because he's got the best <laughs> name ever. John, how are you, pal? It's not as good a name as Andre Walker. No, well, of course, that's the best, isn't it? Look, and, and, and as I said to the nutritionist earlier, you know, my, my body is a temple, the temple of doom, but it's a temple, right? So uh, so everything about me is great and everything else about everybody else is a little bit substandard, at best above average. Anyway, anyway, God, how pretentious is that? I'm starting to sound like James Max. Anyway, um, right, so you are, you, are a Latin, you are a Latin American correspondent and you always come on with interest stuff about South America and I always make the point that we don't know anything about so we don't know enough about South America but there have been huge protests in Mexico haven't there? Yeah and, and actually um, so partly the terminology is an issue because it's I guess broadly Latin America rather than South America and actually Mexico is in North America which the Mexicans will often make a point of of telling you Oh when, my god uh, do, you when, know, do you know that, that had never crossed my mind but you're absolutely right yeah. So, um, but but yeah. But by the by, there's there's protests. I mean, seemingly around the world, um, as as things um, stand, uh, even with lockdown uh, still in place uh, in many parts of the world. But certainly in Mexico, there's there's uh, protests taking place in the west of the country at the moment, essentially because there was a kind of a George Floyd parallel that took place. Well, it took place over a month ago now, but the video footage of it only emerged about a week ago, in which there was a guy um, sat by the side of the road not wearing a face mask and a police patrol in the west of Mexico in the in the state of Jalisco mm. pulled up, ordered him into the vehicle, um, took him away, protestations from his family and so on. And then the next day the family went to pick him up, family were told to go to the hospital and then found him dead, essentially from wow. blunt trauma to the head and, um, and torture. So... And the reason it's become a big thing is, I mean, partly for sure, the George Floyd thing north of the border has has inflamed it as well, but also because people here in Mexico are also fed up of the brutality and impunity, um, which all levels of the security services mm. uh, regularly employ. And that phrase isn't mine. That's a UN phrase that's 
yes. said that in a report of, well, somebody, of four somebody, years ago. Somebody said to me about, uh, so obviously there's an issue with police brutality, but there is also an issue of racism in Latin America. I remember when I went to Colombia, and, and in general terms, you know, if you were black, you're going to struggle to get into a nice bar or a nice restaurant. You know, you, you, you kind of get, get taken, you, you get taken to one side and asked not to come in. And, and you got the impression that kind of white people of Spanish descent were top of the tree. Then what they called the mestizo, who were kind of the, the mix between the locals and the Spanish. Then the locals themselves and then, uh, black, black Africans or people of black African descent. The overwhelming majority of, of slaves did not make it to the United States of America. They went to the Caribbean and to Latin America. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, what are now referred to as Afro-descendants or Afro-Latin uh, Americans um, here. Um, I wouldn't say that they're at the bottom of the pile, if you like, in terms of, like, state-induced racism. I think indigenous groups are also very much yes. uh, are also very much there as well. But you're totally right to say that your sort of slim, white, uh, taller individuals of European descent uh, tend to do, um, you know, best in society, partly because... They've always had the power and control. You know, yes. you take it back to 1492. So the money that came over with them and the power and control that came over with them has stayed in those in those families. And the systems that they brought, that the Spanish state brought in, automatically benefits them as well. And that also means that essentially those you know people with those, that genetic mix tend to be regarded as more more, more beautiful. Uh, if you look at any TV show. In Latin America, yeah, mm. uh, certainly the soaps, you know, the, the, the most famous actors, etc. They all tend to be white. I mean, there is no correlation between watching a soap opera in Mexico and then walking out onto the street and seeing, oh, look, you know, your look, average Joe. Look, am I allowed to say this? It, it might be a bad thing to admit, but one of the advantages of being a, a porky yet pasty guy, um, when I went to South America, I mean, I was the bell of the ball, right? You know, I walk, I mean, I was in my twenties, but I walk into a, you know, a nightclub in the UK and people didn't take much notice. Oh, I was like Brad Pitt over there. So, so there's some elements, there's some elements of this discrimination, which I'm not a hundred percent opposed to. Yeah, but I've seen photos of you online, Andre, and you're definitely not porky and pasty. I've seen really, you know, slimmed up, uh, six-packy kind of oh, yeah. kind of images with oh, your name on them. Well, absolutely. Well, as I said yesterday, there are various Andre Walkers around the world, and what I tend to do, because I'm the Andre Walker with the blue tick on Twitter, I tend to, whenever there's messages to any Andre Walker, reply to them randomly, and it causes a great deal of confusion. So, um, so particularly, Oprah Winfrey's hairdresser's called Andre Walker, and when there's messages to him and I reply, it causes a great deal of confusion. <laughs> You have fun days. I see, I see, I see, I see you thinking to yourself, it's just hard to know where to go with that. But, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, let's, let's not be friends. <laughs> anyway, 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 anyway. Uh, look, I just wanted to ask you in general about Latin America, about the way that the coronavirus is affected, because I just don't know a great deal about how's, how it's going over there. Well, I, I know and I've, I've seen you be quite vociferous about, you know, end of lockdown and, um, and getting economy started started again and all because your general argument correct me if i'm wrong is that the economic downturns is a lot more issues than yes than uh, than coronavirus causing and i think that in a latin american context you've you know your argument would definitely have a would de definitely have a point because there are people 
you know, vast swathes, significant sections of the population across Latin America um, who, if they don't go out and work on a day-to-day basis, they don't have any, anything to put, you know, to take home and put on their on their table. So for sure, there's been the coronavirus thing here across the region, but um, also across the region, very markedly has been this this significant problem where um, where the the broad poor basically have been completely disenfranchised from the little that they could earn in any given day and that has already caused massive social socioeconomic problems and it's going to today in a u.s context they reckon this is going to take two or three years you know for the economy to to come back i mean i think that's you know looking at it remarkably lightly and positively i reckon here in latin america you're probably looking easily between 10 years and a generation uh, you know, to get back to a status quo. Because, because what people what people forget is, you know, if you if you look at the end, say, to austerity, or the end to um, the the amount of money that the British government was borrowing, then then actually, in truth, um, in truth, we're still not over 2008's financial crisis. And so, when people think about these things ending very quickly, I mean, I would have said that we were starting to come out of the 2008 financial crisis when the coronavirus hit. So it's not quite 12 years; call it 11 and a half. Yeah, and yet here, there's no support. You know, there's no following support. Uh, people have just been told to to go home and and stay there. But on the other hand, as well, there's this kind of wishful thinking that. It, the hope that it all goes away because the governments can't borrow in the same way. They're not, you know, they don't have the infrastructure, the economic infrastructure, the trust element in them. I mean, Argentina, um, luckily for, for Argentina, hasn't got crazy numbers of coronavirus at the moment. They've managed to lock down fairly early on, but they've been in a, in a, in a financial death spiral for 25 years now for a, for a generation. So how on earth would they be able to support workers that they are forcibly sending home, yes. you know, just from one day? To the next, it's it's absolutely impossible, and and obviously, these things don't just lead uh, to hunger and disenfranchisement. Um, they do also lead to to parallel health and death statistics, which don't get measured and brought up in in this context, and also, um, you know, social divisions and crime statistics as well, which which are massively problematic in the region as well. It's it's crazy, and of course uh, we we well we always hear about Bolsonaro, uh, the president of Brazil. He is he's been accused of massaging his figures about coronavirus. What's that all about? Well, he's not been accused of massaging them. He's been accused of of, um, of disbanding them. He ordered <laughs> them no longer to be shared on Saturday, and the Supreme Court the Supreme Court of Brazil is not Bolsonaro's friend at no. the moment. Um, so on, there's been two major rulings against him recently over the course of the last month. The first one was allowing a federal investigation into him for getting involved in the appointment of, a, of the, the equivalent of the FBI in Rio um, for swapping that police chief because they're investigating his son. So the Supreme Court allowed that investigation to take place. So we don't know where that's going to go at the moment. Mm. Um, and then the other thing the Supreme Court ruled on Monday is that Brazil had to publish, was in the interest of the health, uh, of the country for the statistics to be known and not to be hidden. So that the, the website actually went live a couple of hours ago. Um, so now the statistics the things, are once again live. One of the things I've noticed, John, about Latin America is that they appear to have courts, particularly the very senior courts like the Supreme Courts, that are independent, that are not pushed around by politicians. Is, is, am I getting the wrong impression there? I think it depends country by country. Yes. So if you look at a Ven in a Venezuelan context, you know, there's no independence right. there um, at the moment. But I would say for sure in a, 
in a Brazilian context, in a Mexican context as well. I'd say probably Colombian, Chilean. Yeah, those those institutions and the the upper courts in those lands still tend to be fairly independent. I mean, they're they're open to political persuasion, but on the whole, they do still manage to you know to maintain to maintain a, a judicial independence. I mean, I, I think when people think of Latin America, they do think. You know, oftentimes that don't have direct experience of, of Latin America in a kind of banana republic-y kind of way. And there are for sure a lot of different, you know, endemic problems, structural problems that Latin America has. But they're also very modern democracies you know, in, in, in large part. They're, they're only really not modern because of the military uh, juntas that were largely in, in place and in control around the region in the kind of 60s and 70s. But we're now basically two, three generations on yeah. from that and there's been there's been time for democracy to to push backwards and forwards you know but the pink tide of the early 2000s when latin america went left and then there was a pushback etc so it's not as though democracy here is is recent and the institutions have had time to develop and make themselves independent of that push me pull you of political process and remind me wh- whereabouts are you uh, southern Mexico. So, uh, so in terms of what infrastructure is open and whatever, what, what, how is it in Mexico? Um, as ever here, it's kind of bipolar. So, um, everything is open, but you're told that nothing should be open. Right. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. There, there is, and, and from the very beginning, there's, I mean, there's still a kind of stay at home order and only, you know, essential services should really be out working. That's now, um, Amplified to construction and um, the automobile industry and a few others, etc. But essentially, people are now back to the new normal. Uh, the end of our three-month alcohol ban uh, happened what? today, Andre. Alcohol yep. ban? Three that months. is not acceptable. It's not Absolutely, acceptable. my home brews. My home brews have really moved forward during this. Uh, during yeah, this now, now, okay, okay. Look, John, were you joking or have you got into home brewing? No, absolutely, and I'm, I've only blinded myself in one eye during the three-month <laughs> process. You wouldn't yeah, no, get home brewing's been great, actually. You wouldn't get that from brewing. You'd have to get that from distilling, right? But, but anyway, anyway, I would. I'll tell you what. I would strongly recommend that you don't start distilling your own booze. No. But but a little bit of beer. Well, so what did you do? Did you just kind of uh, just start making your own beer? Yeah, mostly wines actually. Kind of summer wines. There's there's a couple of things here which are kind of fairly traditional. So there's a thing called a debache, which actually pretty much maybe this isn't the show for it but uh but you can make anybody can make from pineapple skin pineapple um skin has a has a natural um yeah, but the yeast cost, in it yeah but the cost the cost of pineapples in the uk it'd be like yes 50, over in the uk 50 grand a bottle wouldn't it <laughs> yeah here, here they literally <laughs> they didn't fall off trees because they didn't come off trees but yeah they're, they're two a penny here so so um fermenting and it's actually a three-day process so really quick oh that's not bad with pineapple skin and then also just kind of any fruit of which there's obviously a lot here and then um, there's a thing called aguamiels here, which is like a honey water. So you put mm-hmm. in some some honey in a variety of fruit. And I'm I'm sipping a tamarind wine as we speak. Oh, well uh, done. Well done. Well, John, unfortunately, we're out of time, but it's always interesting to hear your updates. Enjoy your um, your pineapple skin wine, which, to be fair, right, I'm not mocking. I actually think that sounds like quite a good idea because the sugar content and whatever would definitely, definitely ferment in a reasonable way. Anyway. Uh, coming up after the break, we've got 
some information about what's going on in North Korea, because I'm fascinated by this country. It's so weird what goes on over there. We're going to be chatting to Josh Smith, who's Reuters senior correspondent covering both North and South Korea. That's coming up after this. 